Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Asia-Pacific shares are trading lower this morning. The biggest losses are in Tokyo, where the Nikkei is down a bit less than 1%. Seoul and Sydney are trading marginally lower. Investors this morning are assessing a host of earnings from the U.S., particularly from the tech sector. They also have their eyes on Hong Kong, where investors have been selling off amid concerns about China's latest regulatory measures targeting the tech, education and property sectors. Joining me now to break down all the market action is Kyle Rodder, live from Australia. Australia, where he's an analyst with IG. Good morning, Kyle. Good morning. Now, three of the world's largest tech companies, Apple, Microsoft, and Google's parent company, Alphabet, opened their books overnight. And what did we learn? Well, for one thing, they made a lot of money in the second quarter of the year. Their combined profits for the three months from April to June top 50 billion US dollars. All right, Kyle, let's start with the big picture. What is the first thing that strikes you when you look at these results of the three giants? Well, I suppose what strikes me is the market reaction to the results um, overall. I I guess that's what I I look at typically um, most because it gives you pretty much at least a bit of a read on the sentiment of things and, and, um, you know, where where the results sort of landed as far as expectations go. And, you know, as as, as we sort of saw and and as we know from sort of an earnings and revenue point of view, you know, every every company sort of smashed out of the park. Really, it was a really solid set of results. Um, You know, it's not not unusual for these companies to to really exceed expectations and they did it again. Um, I think what what we saw, though, was, you know, obviously um, Microsoft and Apple um, in aftermarket trading fell quite considerably. Um, You know, there's obviously a bit of context there, a broader context there with with what's happening in Chinese tech. But, you know, overall, what what the key takeaway was is that, you know, the markets are are always sort of positioned and priced with um, with these companies pretty much at perpetual growth. Um, And any time we get kind of any any commentary from, from, you know, any of these sort of big tech companies that, you know, maybe there's some growth headwinds in the future or some challenges to be navigated in the future, you know, that really does sort of hit market sentiment. We saw that reaction in prices um, tonight, uh, last night. So it was a really solid set of numbers objectively, mm-hmm. but, you know, clearly um, it spoke of a market that always has very high expectations for these companies and the sell-off that we saw in, in, in most of those stocks after market really, I think, spoke, spoke of that uh, more than anything else. Apple demolished earnings expectations. Every single one of its product lines is enjoying double-digit growth. iPhone's doing the best of all. iPhone sales jumping nearly 50% in the second quarter as compared with a year earlier. And yet Apple shares are trading lower in after-hours action amid a warning that the global chip shortage could hit its sales going forward. What do you make of this? Yeah, I mean, it sort of goes to the, um, the former point, really, where, um, you know, these companies are expected to deliver strong growth every quarter and almost in perpetuity. Um, and, you know, that's not entirely unfounded um, in the sense that these companies continually to continually deliver uh, those sorts of strong results. But any time company management turns around and says, oh, look, we've got some, you know, headwinds in the future that may, uh, you know, affect our future growth prospects, that, that doesn't get taken well by the markets because of the way that, you know, effectively investors are, are pricing these companies. But, I mean, overall, it, it does sort of tie into a little bit of a concerning theme at the moment for markets in general and, of course, you know, the tech space, which is, um, especially as it relates to, to hardware, um, that the supply disruptions that we're seeing across the globe may not be as uh, quickly fixed and to use a word that keeps getting thrown around, especially by the Fed, as, as transitory as we, we previously thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a resi- the, the risk um, for, for, for sales and, and, and especially margins going forward on the, on the basis of that. So um, 
on top of that, we didn't get guidance from Apple once again, so that added to that sort of cloud of un- uncertainty. Um, so despite the fact that we did get those really, really strong results and, you know, the outlook's very, very rosy for these companies, um, you know, there's clearly macro headwinds there that they're facing um, and it's probably going to, you know, be baked in with a bit of a risk premium into prices as um, uh, we, we move forward through the year. All right, I want to move from iPhones to online advertising. And once again, a tech giant is crushing expectations there. Google's ad revenue is up nearly 70% as compared with a year earlier. It's a huge jump. YouTube alone grossed more than 7 billion US dollars, which, by the way, is nearly as much as Netflix. So two questions for you, Kyle. First, are there any dark clouds on Google's horizon or is it pretty much all golden? And second, do you think that profit numbers like these really increase the case for regulatory action, possibly even breaking up Google? Um, I think in terms of the former, um, there is certainly, I mean, I, I suppose the answer to, to your first question is contained in the second uh, the, the, the second question, uh, which is, are there, are there headwinds? Yes, well, it's regulatory headwinds. And, you know, we, we do have this overarching concern that, you know, with the dominance that um, Google has in, in its market, um, and effectively it is a monopoly, that this looming risk of regulatory crackdown from, from US authorities is, is always there. And, you know, it probably has been discounted in the price because it's such a well-known concern and it's been digested every, every quarter. What I will say, though, is that Google clearly as a company, more than just a, a company that compiles data and, and what have you, is very well positioned for what has been a, an accelerating trend towards e-commerce um, amongst, uh, you know, in, in global business, I suppose you could say, since the start of, start of the pandemic. And I think that the jump in advertising revenues, the jump in engagement with YouTube and um, other, other, other platforms that, that, uh, that we saw sort of contained within the results yesterday really does speak to the fact that, um, you know, the pandemic has, has driven this sort of secular, accelerated this secular trif- uh, shift to, to e-commerce and Google is at the forefront of that. Um, there will always be, going forward, there will be that sort of risk premium being priced into to, to Google because of the, the risk of regulatory crackdowns. And the, the concern is, is that it's very, very difficult to predict whether that will happen or not. In principle, if you look at it, it's very anti-competitive as far as the, the business model goes. So if you think they were, you know, um, authorities were committed to free market principles, that they'd certainly break up the company. However, obviously, Google is very important from a strategic point of view. Um, it is a service that does, you know, really add a lot of value to, to the economy overall. So it's very complicated. But that regulatory overhang is there, but certainly from the, the, the nuts and bolts of the, the business model and, and as far as the, the company itself, it's clearly in a very good position to take advantage of some of those other, um, you know, market, uh, more business-based business based tailwinds that, uh, that we are seeing at the moment. Onwards now to Microsoft. Like Apple and Alphabet, <laughs> Microsoft's profits have beaten market expectations. Revenue up more than 20%, boosted by the company's cloud computing service Azure. Now, it looks, though, like supply chain constraints could affect Microsoft's business going forward as well. What lessons do you draw from Microsoft's results and forward guidance, Kyle? Um, pretty much uh, very similar to Apple, I suppose, if you were to you know, give it a really high-level overview, which is any time that these companies um, you know, flag in any way that there could be a headwind to their growth, um, that the investors don't take to that particularly well because, again, you know, they, they're pretty much geared and priced for, for almost perpetual growth. But <clears throat> excuse me, um, a little bit like the Apple situation is that any company that deals in hardware at the moment is going to be um, confronted with the issues, going for potentially uh, with, you know, squeezes on their margins because of these supply disruptions and the, the issues as it relates to, to supply chains um, and global microchips 
doesn't seem like it's abating perhaps as quickly as um, everyone would have uh, perhaps hoped for or had had expected, um, and that's sort of showing up somewhat in the outlook for, for Microsoft. Of course, too, um, a lot of that um, you know concern about pot- potentially slower growth rates going forward is from the the, the cloud business, um, and I think that came as somewhat a surprise, of a surprise. You know, overall, I think investors are still very bullish on Microsoft stock, um, but again, whenever there's a sign that you know there, there could be a, a, a the company could stop growing quite at the, the extreme. Uh, and very, very strong rates that, that we've seen in the past. Um, it's, it's just a bit of a sentiment knock, and, and you know we saw the response in, in after hours trading this, this morning. There are 165 S&P constituents that will be releasing earnings this week, Kyle, in addition to the tech giants Starbucks reporting a stellar quarter as more people, particularly in the U.S., venture out again. The global snack maker Mondelez also reporting higher profits and chip maker AMD Advanced Micro Devices is profiting from strong demand. It's reporting strong second quarter numbers and has increased its projections for the year. So if we take a broader look at the U.S. market now, the S&P 500 has snapped a five-day winning streak, falling half a percent overnight. Tech shares leading the market lower. The U.S. has been trading at record highs. So is this just profit-taking or do you think U.S. markets have peaked? Uh, I don't think U.S. markets have peaked. And I, I probably justify that on a macro point of view that, you know, we've still got accommodative policy conditions. The Fed keeps pumping liquidity into the market and you're not going to especially now, um, you know, uh, move out of stocks in, in favour of, you know, other asset classes, say assets, you know, you're not going to you're not gonna buy bonds in this market because the yield is still attractive on equity still, even despite the fact that we've got very high valuations and, and, you know, prices at record highs. You know, in terms of last night's trade, I think it can really be explained by, you know, three things. The, the sort of overhang of these tech earnings um, this morning um, and the, the lofty expectations that we had there. We've got the Fed tomorrow morning, which, you know, it's, it's really not an environment to, to take on too much risk when you've got 24, hour, 24 hours in advance. You have, um, you know, a, a Fed meeting. Um, and then, you know, the, these issues that we're seeing in Hong Kong and Chinese stocks are, are really um, significant from a sentiment point of view and from a technical point of view as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you saw a big sell-off in, in some of those big Chinese tech names overnight. Yeah. I'm sure there would have been a lot of portfolio managers having to, to, to sell other areas of um, uh, other other. Uh, reduce their exposure to, to the broader market to try and cover some of those really steep losses. So those three things snapped a five-day win streak. I don't think this is the last record high that we've seen yeah. uh, for, for the S&P 500. Let's talk about that sell-off. Now, one sector that is definitely taking a big hit this week are China-related stocks. Beijing's moves to reel in the tech and education sectors has sent investors scrambling. The markets are filled with speculation that U.S. funds are now offloading their Chinese and Hong Kong assets. The Hang Seng Index is about 8% down this week. The Chinese yen is at its weakest level in months. So what does the China bubble look like it's doing, Kyle? Has it popped? What is your take? Well, my take is that markets don't want to get into a game of chicken with Chinese authorities, mm. and it's a risk that basically you can't discount because it's it's not something that's driven by fundamentals or it's not driven by anything that's really um, got a clear textbook to it. Um, you know, I think what's happening here is Chinese authorities are um, making some very um, careful decisions about their their, their um, policy overall and this just sort of fits in um this is just a small part of of, of that at the moment um some you know key key areas of policy that um that, that, that china uh, china is targeting at the moment and the other thing too is that with this sort of all-powerful private sector that's emerging in, in china and has done for a while especially in the tech space um i think there is genuine concern that um the private sector has lost its um 
subordinates to, to the, um, the the state, or it's, or it's somehow it's you know um, fallen out of some level of control from the state. Um, and this is you know really trying to cracking down to, to remind the private sector whose interests it's serving, mm-hmm. uh, go, and and you know how it needs to behave going forward. So, given the fact that we don't know how long that um, authorities will be on this kind of crusade against its private sector against tech stocks, um, you know it, it could go for much longer. Right. Investors just don't want any part of that right now. So they're selling their portfolios. I think they'll get back in eventually when this passes, and eventually I, I believe it will. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the time being, you can't discount this risk. So you, you, you get out and wait out the storm. Yeah. The tech and education sectors have captured most of the focus this week, but Beijing is also taking measures to reel in property prices. So it's hiked mortgages in a major city, is increasing the scrutiny of just about everything in that sector, and is vowing to build more subsidized housing. In your view, Kyle, are these moves good or bad for the Chinese economy? Well, in the long run, I suppose it's designed to build a more sustainable uh, economy and one that's fairer. And I suppose you can't really, you know, you, there's all sorts of things you can sort of knock the, the um, CCP for, but, you know, trying to build a more equitable um, and, uh, you know, prosperous society um, is, is, is obviously an admirable um, admirable pursuit. As you sort of alluded to, you know, what are the two areas that are really being um, targeted here? Well, it's the cost of education and its cost of housing. So pretty much the essentials that society needs to, to run on and to build a prosperous society in the long run, a fair society in the long run. I think there's been a really major concern and it almost ties back to what we've seen from Chinese authorities in the last few months where they've you know, boosted uh, or increased the number of um, you know, children that, that the families can have because they're concerned about you know, the, the country's demographics mm-hmm. is that they're trying to lower the cost of living in the long run uh, and ensure that you know, people are incentivized to you know, continue to have children uh, the economy can continue to grow um, and that demographics don't start becoming a headwind to the Chinese economy overall and the objectives of the Chinese Communist Party. So this is just, again, a little bit like I alluded to before, mm-hmm. this is really what the Chinese uh, are trying to um, achieve out of this kind of crusade is the word that I've used. Um, and the financial markets are secondary and they don't care about the short-term pain there, especially the overseas investors. So for as long as this kind of, I guess, policy drive goes on um, and those principles of trying to create a fair and sustainable uh, growth model going forward, you know, the markets will be, will be um, second to that and, you know, we could continue to see this kind of behaviour from Chinese authorities. All right, let's turn from China to Singapore now. The Straits Times Index finished flat yesterday at 31.38. It is marginally higher over the past week. In the meantime, Singapore REITs like Keppel and Maple Tree Industrial Trust are reporting higher distributions per unit. In the case of Maple Tree, it's getting a boost from its U.S. investments. So what are you looking out for when it comes to the Singapore market now, Kyle? Well, I mean, it's almost like what I'm sort of following with the ASX locally here at the moment is just how we get caught up in these, um, you know, gyrations in, in broader Asian markets because the concern is, is that there'll be a minor contagion effect and, and cause some broader volatility while, you know, portfolio managers have to sort of readjust their positioning and, you know, that, that tends to lead to sort of negative sentiment and, um, you know, a, a, a drag on risk assets. But, I mean, overall, Singapore remains a little bit of a victim to the sort of slowdown in the broader Asian region. Um, I, I think what we're going to see going forward looking more into the longer term is that um, with this sort of pivot from Chinese policymakers um, to focus on some of its long-term objectives with its economy, that this plateauing that we've seen in growth recently um, will look to be remedied by a slightly looser policy again. So a bit of a tap on the accelerator from, from them to try and boost growth in China, and that'll have sort of flow-on effects through the region. But, you know, while we're still, still seeing this sort of anti-cyclical weak and, and this weakness in, in China at the moment, Singapore's 
stocks will probably face headwinds, similar to maybe the ASX in a way as all the parts of it. Um, and in the day ahead, you know, it's certainly going to be about that kind of volatility in, um, in Hong Kong and China to, to, to see where we you know, finish the day's trade. Let's check it on the STI. It's at 3141.59, up 0.09%. This is your money. I'm Michelle Martin, and you just heard from Kyle Roda from Australia, where he's an analyst with IG. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.